there, Steve Wills, the Internet's crying wrestling favorite. And let me tell you, live and in color with Wolfie D is one heck of a podcast. Wolfie D is great. He's a great podcaster. Oh, he's still running me, damn it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his time in the territories with PG-13, to his time in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Thanks again for tuning in. Here he is, Wolfie D. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. How are you doing today, Wolfie? I'm doing great, Jimmy. I hope everyone else is doing great as well. Beautiful, uh, beautiful morning today. Now, not to do a little foreshadowing, but I think I just saw on social media that you had the king around you. I wonder what he might be doing. I did have the king. He came to uh, my dealership. We actually flew down in uh, the owner's private jet, picked the king up in Memphis, and brought him back to Somerset, Kentucky here. He uh, he helped us with our grand opening. Uh, it turned was a great turnout, great turnout, and uh, it was really awesome. He filmed a, a cool little promo with me, a little commercial. Uh, people can see that on my social media. I think he posted it on the Live and in Color website as well. Uh, yes, sir. So, yeah, it was it was really cool. So, and we're going to actually have him on here today. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what you guys are talking about today. What a great guest. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. We ended last podcast with Jeff Jarrett and Brian Armstrong. And basically, you know, they're showing up a little bit more. You guys had just ended your feud with the Rock and Roll Express. And, and this one is going to start the Heavenly Bodies feud. Now, the Heavenly Bodies were a tag team in Memphis. Dr. Tom Pritchard and Pat Rose, they ended up breaking up. And then around this time, Jim Cornette had just left the WCW, and he had started his own company, Smoky Mountain. The Midnight Express had broken up. He had taken Stan Lane with him to Smoky Mountain. Bobby Eaton stayed back in WCW. And Dr. Tom and Stan Lane formed the newer version of the Heavenly Bodies. But honestly, I think this was the perfect Heavenly Bodies. It was Dr. Tom Pritchard and Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. So why don't you tell us a few thoughts about those guys? Man, uh, Dr. John Richards. That's what – I can't call him anything but that. Uh, I forget the story to it, but it was something – he was at a, at a uh, convenience store in Memphis and some guy at the store. Uh, and, and they would always get your name – fans always get your name screwed up. I was Whoopi D. Uh, uh, I was Whoopi Dundee. I was all kinds of stuff. They get your name so screwed up. Uh, but uh, he was Dr. John Richards, and that's what the guy was calling him. <laughs> A lot of us didn't know him closely to this day. I can't call him anything but Dr. John. But uh, he, I mean, we know who all he's trained. We know what he's done for the business and what he continues to do uh, with Glenn Jacobs uh, at the Jacobs uh, and, and Pritchard Wrestling Academy there in Knoxville. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that speaks for itself. Uh, being in the ring with him, 
is, is, is an honor. And, and he was, you know, at that time in my career, you know, I'd probably see that would have been probably a little over 10 years in the business. So I pretty much kind of knew what I was doing at that point. And, uh, and Jimmy Del Rey was a great worker. Uh, I forget what year that was. He passed away, but, uh, awesome, awesome worker. And, and they would do all kinds of stuff with us. And we just had really good matches. Um, we went to Smoky Mountain and worked them. We we started an angle there that never got off the ground because Smoky Mountain closely thereafter went out of business. Right. Uh, but we had went there to try to continue the feud at another promotion, which would have been great because, you know, Cornette was there. When when they were coming to Memphis, uh, Corny didn't make the shots. And nobody wanted to make Memphis TV from Knoxville. Uh, first of all, uh, as a lot of people know, the talent did not get paid for Memphis TV. The only people that got paid for Memphis TV were the job guys. So uh, oh, that was that was one thing that was that was hard uh, to get anybody, uh, you know, further outside yeah. of Memphis to come to TV uh, because they didn't want to make that six-hour trip and not get paid. You know, so right, that right, was, that was a challenge. Which I always, I never really understood that, but. Uh, is what it is. Um, I guess they figured, hell, you're working uh, tonight in Nashville. But, you know, times had changed, and they really didn't catch up with that, I don't believe. So, at any rate, though, uh, working the Heavenly Bodies was was really uh, a great experience. And, uh, like I said, it could have been more, but it was it was nearing the end of Smoky Mountain. And, and it wasn't too long after the USWA, I think 97 or 98 or something like that was when uh, they ended up going out of business. So we were we were nearing the end of the road on some of that when uh, the timing. Again, we, we've talked about timing so much in the wrestling business throughout this podcast and our episodes that, that it was just a thing, man. Timing is everything. Yeah, it truly is. And, you know, the, the Heavenly Bodies, I remember them because, you know, you guys had this amazing feud with the Rock and Roll Express, but the Heavenly Bodies really picked up where the Midnight Express left off with the Rock and Roll Express. The Heavenly Bodies were that classic tag team. They act more pretty than they are. You know, I remember Dr. Tom teasing his hair and Gigolo doing his little ravishing Rick Rude bump and grind move there. And yeah. to me, they were just this classic team. Uh, not to speak ill of the dead, but Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey was not the most attractive man in the world. We'll just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but the dude could wrestle. They would do that classic cut off the ring, you know, old school wrestling tag team, you know, style. And it yeah. was a great, you know, and I thought you guys were great with them because you guys, again, did your style with their style. So it was definitely different than the Rock and Roll Express, but it took over just like a champ so so really you guys you you drop the belts to them and then you kind of go back and forth here you know i'm going over my paperwork here you know basically there's a match you guys won by a dq because of brandon baxter i remember seeing him uh, a lot. brandon kinda... brandon i forget how he got into the business uh um but uh, i mean he was a great talker um he ended up, I mean, to say how great of a talker he, he is, is that he's now ended up on radio, and, and I believe he still does that. I know his show uh, is very successful. It's, I believe it's in uh, somewhere around Arkansas. I think it's Jonesboro, maybe, but he has some kind of morning show where he's the he's the main, um, you know, DJ morning show guy, and it yeah. does really well. So it just it says what a what a talker he is. Uh, and yeah. just uh, looking at him, he got heat, you know, <laughs> I mean, little yeah. skinny, uh, 
Uh, and he used to have that that blonde mullet, and then now he's he's bald now, but he had that blonde <laughs> mullet. So just look at him, he got heat, and then he could talk, yeah. and you know he did his job well. What is it about guys with mullets going bald, Wolfie? I don't get it, brother. <laughs> what did we do? I think mine was a combination of, but but to this day, my my biological father has a long, full head of hair. They say it skips generation, uh, and I, but his dad has a full head of hair when he passed away. But uh, I think it's a combination of because I still I don't have much feeling uh, from getting color on the top of my forehead up here. I don't know if it's dead nerve cells or uh, I also before I started losing my hair. Uh, I was bleaching my hair a lot. When we went in WCW, I had blue hair, I had red hair, and I was coloring it with some really uh, chemical, you know, chemicals that probably weren't the best for my hair. But anyway, I, I probably could have kept it a little longer. But as soon as I saw that the hairline receding and got that little spot up top there that didn't, wasn't growing too well, I was like, screw this, man. I'm taking this stuff off. <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I shaved mine at 17, senior day in high school, and everybody was like, Jimmy, you look like you're. 30 and I'm like yeah I'm not going to keep this and so everybody they were like let's knock it down and and the baseball players uh we sat in the baseball dugout and we shaved it down it was awesome so anyway you know, we can say we can say that uh not everybody can pull off a bald head let's just put it that way and it's also we'll put that been uh, yeah. proven that bald-headed men are sexier they also have right. testosterone yeah, that's, so so there you go, girl. <laughs> that should explain a lot of them broken hearts we've left behind, right? Or maybe just <laughs> anyway. Uh, so so uh, get back to the topic here because I think that was amazing. You lead up to an eighteen tag tournament here, and it's announced for the titles at the Coliseum. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some of these names and just quick response on them. You don't have to go into these too long. I just kind of want to yeah. get your thoughts on some of these guys. We may not ever talk about them again so basically the first team is the king cobra and the spellbinder what do you quickly remember spellbinder i spent a lot of time with him he's a he's i consider him a good friend uh when they brought him in as a wwf developmental guy i mean and he knows this this ain't not not what he was terrible uh i worked with him a lot and being as big as he was uh you know he's muscle bound 280 like six four or something he was hard to work with when he couldn't do a lot uh, but he did get better, and the, and I loved. I was a huge mark for the spellbinder gimmick. I wish that it would have taken off because Dell is a legit magician. He could do some really good stuff. It just never panned out, and I don't know if it was that he couldn't make it work or they couldn't make it work or whatever. But I really loved that gimmick. I thought it was cool. It was original, and I'm a big mark for magic. Uh, so for me, I, I loved yeah. it. I. You know, if it would have just been played better. But Dell's a great dude. I still talk to him uh, every now and then. Um, and King Cobra. Now, Cobra was a guy that he's, you know, before my time, I knew of him and what he had done in the business. Great worker, heck of a nice guy, um, and, and worked with him more than just that. Uh, he was on a lot of Buddy Wayne shows. Buddy used him a lot. Uh, at the time that I was around, you know, he wasn't wrestling as much, so he wasn't, you know, heavily involved in stuff. So I didn't, I don't have a great knowledge of, of him other than, than what I just said. 
Yeah, no problem. No problem. You know, I always thought the Spellbinder gimmick was amazing, too. I just, you know, dude was, was jacked, so he, yeah. that was a no-brainer. Okay, so the next tag team, we've talked about Gorgeous George the Third. You know, everybody knows how awesome yeah. he is, the Stroh. But Yellow Jacket, now, this is funny, because we'll hear more about Yellow Jacket a little bit later on. Basically, there's a time that he's putting together every team. Now, I know it's not him, but he is putting together every team he can to try to top you guys. But tell us a quick story about the Yellow Jacket. While we... Well, Yellow Jacket was uh, Kevin Lawler, uh, the younger son of the king, Brian's yeah. brother. And what <laughs> we used to rib him so bad because the Yellow Jacket, that's the, the outfit that he had on was actually – like a little muscle suit. He wore that because he was small. And so up under all that was this air-filled muscle suit, kind of like the kids buy for Halloween, uh, you know, to be the Hulk or Captain America or whatever. (laughs) I I can't remember if he had it made or made it. I don't remember, man. But that was, it was the first person that I'd ever seen do anything like that. And I don't know if the people could really tell. I mean, I know some of the, before they were smart marks, Smart marks before that was a term. Uh, they knew yeah. it was Kevin and all that stuff, but uh, yeah, and, and bless him, Kevin. He was a better referee than he was a wrestler, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we got uh, Tracy Smothers and Terry Gordy. Now we've gone over Tracy. We'll talk more Tracy on down the line. But I really would love to hear your story about Terry Gordy. Anything you got on Gordy? What a great big man, you know. Well, I think only that might have been the only match we worked him and this was post you know prime terry gordy this was after he'd had his things like that i don't really remember but what i do remember is it was during the smoky mountain feud and they had him come in for the finish out of the crowd and at the coliseum and terry was supposed to come in get me up on a table and give me his pile driver through the table for the finish yeah and you know, like I said, this is post-stroke, so his mind wasn't all there. He comes in, and the table, for whatever reason, was laying on the ground. It wasn't set up, so it threw him. So he picks me up, does not set the table up. He picks me up, holds me in the pile driver for, for what felt like an hour. <laughs> I'm just sitting there upside down. He's He's kind of walking around with and just holding me up and then I don't know and then something clicked and he finally just kind of gave me the pile driver on the table that was laying on the floor (laughs) but it was just so awkward and and not to it's not making fun or anything like that but just it was it was not Terry Gordy in his prime but that's the one thing that I remember it felt like I was held upside down in this pile driver for an hour it was crazy (laughs) (laughs) I mean I can't imagine that feeling this big massive bear dude hold I mean legit strong man holding you up you know like yeah your head probably got blood rushing to it oh yeah and I was I had color anyway so all the blood's rushing to my head blood's dripping everywhere pouring out yeah Oh man, that's that's hilarious. So then you, the other team is Brian Christopher and Bill Dundee. We've got a funny Bill Dundee story coming up. We we won't get into that. You don't need to cover anything with them. But Axel Rotten and Brian Lee. Now you know what? What I remember, the Ian and Axel had their tag team, and I know we'll talk about Ian a little later too. But Axel, mm-hmm. he was a heck of a worker, was he not? I mean, maybe not at this time, yep. but he turned into a yeah. Yeah, I believe Ian owes everything to Axel. I've always said that. Yeah, he was a great worker. They didn't really use him in Memphis uh, 
to his potential. Uh, and then he went on to, you know, really get over in ECW. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Sewell was a great worker. And, and then this, the whole Brian Lee thing, you know, heck, I watched Brian before I ever got in the business. And, you know, Brian right. was a great worker that would end up being one of probably my second best partner in the wrestling business with uh, the Disciples of the New Church uh, when I was Slash and he was the kill dozer Brian Lee for TNA. We had yeah. a nice tag team. Uh, title run there with Father James Mitchell as our manager. Uh, so, you know, I got nothing but good things to say about Brian. I originally met him in Puerto Rico uh, when we went there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Brian. Yeah. Uh, and I can't get a hold of that guy, man. I've tried to get in touch with him uh, for this podcast, actually. And he's just, uh, I don't know, man, Brian. I don't know if he just don't want to have anything to do with the wrestling business or, or what. Right. Uh, he's Nobody can get in touch with him. I've heard other people say the same thing. So. Well, he might be just hidden, you know, like you said. Maybe he just wants to stay yeah. away from it. Sometimes yeah. when you're out, it's like the mafia. You stay out, almost like you're in witness right. protection. You know? Absolutely. Um, I know it's done you well after your career. You've become the heavyweight champion of auto sales, which is just amazing yeah. to think about if you think about it. So, anyway, it works for some and doesn't for others. So, Doug and Tommy, we won't need to cover Doug and Tommy. Those are very about some wildfire. And, you know, PG-13, the Heavenly Body. So that rounds out the eight tag teams. So I'm going to quickly go over this here. So basically, in the tournament, you guys go over the Heavenly Bodies in the first round. Then in the semis, you go over Axel and Brian, and then you win the the tournament there by beating Tracy and Terry Gordy. So that got you back the titles. You guys carrying that again. I've lost count. Still Real Dave Wills probably knows exactly what number that was, so throw a <laughs> shout-out to Still Real there. And so then in September, September 11th, actually, what's funny, at the Coliseum, you guys go over the Heavenly Bodies in a Boys in the Hood street fight. Now, I've said Boys in the Hood because Meltzer's got me into trouble reading off his paperwork here, but I've said Boys in the Hood when it was really a Texas death match. Wolfie has straightened me out on that, but I still can't stop saying Boys in the Hood. So... I yeah. do kind of believe that this might have been a Boys in the Hood street fight. Do you remember and, and anything I don't about doubt that? I don't yeah. doubt that. I think we probably called it that, but it was Texas Deathmatch Rules, if I remember correctly. Okay, we just so named that, it that. Just named it Boys in the Hood because that's what you guys were, Boys in the Hood. So right. that makes sense. So cool. Now, here's the story that I think this is going to be the, the jewel of the podcast, other than our upcoming conversation with Jerry, is – <laughs> Tell us this story about you and Mr. Dundee having a little backstage conversation here. Yeah, so the deal was Bill was, and to put it, only way I know to say it was very jealous of the push we were getting. Bill tried to block us from even getting a job at USWA. Um, it's strange that he would try to block his own kid, but, the, you know, uh, wrestlers and their kids sometimes have strange relationships. Uh, but anyway, as we start getting that push and everything, you know, he's knocking us to the office. He's doing this, he's doing that. But yet on his gimmick table, and, you know, Bill's one of them old school guys. He's there at six o'clock with everything out there before the doors open, you know, making his money on his gimmicks. And yeah, one picture he's got is one of myself, Jamie and him all standing in the ring together. So he's selling this picture. I don't remember. They're, you know, the five by sevens or four by sixes or whatever they were, uh, that everybody sold, uh, you know, for a little extra to get the three of us together. So that's kind of hurting. Why would somebody want to buy one individual Bill Dundee picture 
and right. one individual PG thirteen picture when they can get one picture of all of us, you know, for a for a little Together. bit less. So exactly. I went to Jamie. I said, you know what, Jamie? I said, this is bullshit, man. I said he's cutting in on our money. I said, and then uh, you know, uh, beyond that, he's knocking us to the office every freaking week. I said he needs to give us some money out of that. Jamie said, man, that's my dad, man. I can't say nothing, man. I can't say nothing to him. You say something to him. I said, fine. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I forget. It was a spot show. I believe it was a Buddy Wayne show, like on a Friday night or something. And um, I think it was in Mississippi or something like that. And so Bill is in the dressing room, a very small little high school gym in a small town. And he's laying down. He's already dressed. He's, he's laying down on a on a bench. And uh, so I walk in there, and I'm trying not to do this in front of the boys, right? And so I said, hey, Bill, I said, uh, can I have a word with you? Can you step out here? You know, I want to get out of the dressing room and get into the hallway there. It was just me and him. And uh, he said, you got something to say to me, mate? You say it right here. And uh, that wasn't the greatest Bill Dundee impression, but um, it'll work. So he <laughs> said, I said, I said, okay, Bill. So I'm trying to do this, you know, professionally. And. I said, I think it's bullshit, Bill, that, you know, you're knocking us, blah, 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 blah. You got this picture out here. I said, I want some money off that picture. I said, you owe it to us because, uh, you know, just what I explained to you about the the reason, you know, people would buy that one instead of two individuals. Right. Yeah. And uh, he got the mouthing, and then I got the mouthing, and I don't remember what words were said, but the, the final thing was he he started to set up on the bench, and I said, okay, Bill, then I put, kind of put my hands out to the side, you know, and I said, well, what the fuck's up then? You know, fighting words, what the fuck's up? I mean, let's go. Yeah. And uh, he said, you want to know what's up? I'll show you what's up. And he fucking reaches into his boot and he pulls out his fucking knife, about a 12-inch fucking knife. <laughs> oh, my God. And so <laughs> I took a step backwards, obviously, and uh, he stands up with the knife in his hand. He kind of starts coming at me. Well, uh, thankfully, Randy Hales and uh, Doug Gilbert were there. And Doug grabbed a, like I said, this was like a high school. So you remember, I think it was a pro overhead projector. You remember how they had them on those little carts that they'd wheel into the classroom or whatever? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's there's one of those cars, and I, like I said, I believe it was an overhead projector that was on top of it. So Doug takes that thing and just pushes it and kind of gets in between us and puts the puts the cart and the projector like in between us, so that, you know creates a barrier where Bill can't come yeah. stab my guts out. Of her. And, uh, and that was the end of that. They ended up. Uh, Bill had to leave right then. Randy fired him right there on the spot, and uh, you know he left and whatnot, but. Me and Bill, yeah. uh, we'll talk more about this, uh, of him coming back, because like I said, they fired him right there. Now, he did end up coming back, and Lawler and um, Randy both came to me and said, hey, we we want to do this angle. Of course, they wanted to you know, capitalize off the shoot incident in the in the dressing room and uh, have you and Bill work an angle at first. And I was like, fuck, no. But then I got Seriously. to think about that. Might be some money, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. so we ended up doing it with me and Bill over that. So Yeah. Now, a little later this year, if I'm not mistaken, he ends up – he and Bert start Ozark Mountain, but we'll get into that later. But he becomes your competition not a month or two later, but then – or yeah. or a town or two like Evansville maybe. Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about that. I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. So, 
so that is amazing because to me, you know, Bill, he's Australian, right? I mean, he was Scottish, but yeah. then he lived in Australia. And he's pulling yeah. this, you know, what does that make me think of? That makes Crocodile me think of Dundee. That's not a, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not a knife, mate. That is not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> exactly. And I can't imagine, I mean, what, like, is it like, are you like immediately like he's going to stab me or is it like I'm still ready to throw? I don't remember I don't really what was going through my head other than, like I said, I didn't, I didn't run from it. I just took a, you know, a couple of steps back like, oh shit, what's going, what's fixing to happen now? You know, I don't, <laughs> yeah. that type of thing in the moment, you really don't have time to think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, well, I guess I'm getting stabbed basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't, I, and to this day, I don't know whether that was him, uh, you know, showing his feathers, flexing his muscles, and just trying to back me off? Or was he legitimately, would he have done something had I, uh, you know, escalated the situation from there? I don't know. But um, yeah. me and Bill, since that day, well, I don't want to say since that day, but when he came back and worked with me, uh, I think I earned his respect. He earned mine. He worked his yeah. ass off uh, with me, and we beat the crap out of each other, legit. And yeah. it, it was a good act. And we're, we've been cool ever since. Yeah, yeah. And you've said that multiple times. You know, you're cool with them. You you know, it, it's the way things work in wrestling, right? I mean, you guys are all going to war, essentially. Yeah. And you're traveling. You've got to kind of come through it and pull together, but you would still take, you know, back him up if you needed to. It's always cool to hear about that <laughs> Can you imagine uh, something like that happening at a, a regular job? Circuit I mean, City? the post be yeah. called charges yeah. would be pressed. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's call center or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that happened somewhere, but you know, anyway, that's, yeah. that's, that's an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. So I really, I, I'm going to, this is the last thing we're going to talk about. And then, yeah. then we're going to have those three little letters come up again. And I know we've spoken a little bit about that time in the WWF, but I'm going to cover some more in-depth stuff that I wanted to ask you about. But let's leave it with this. So on September 23rd at TV, you guys lose to Techno Team 2000 in a non-title match after Jesse James Armstrong uses the hubcap on Wolfie. So quickly, I know we're going to talk about Techno Team 2000 here on the next episode a little bit more because they pick up like a feud with you and the bodies in a way. But tell us a quick little, you know, a little bit. Travis and Troy, Eric Watts. and uh, Eric Watts, and I uh, can't remember the other guy's name. I think he got in the NASCAR or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was developmental that never passed out. Uh, not sure what Eric's doing these days. And, you know, they just weren't, it wasn't going to work with them. They they were not the greatest. Um, and I don't really want to talk bad about anybody, but I believe sure. Eric was not his father. Um, and, and in his mind might've believed that maybe he was <laughs> something or better. Um, yeah. Never worked out. And, and as far as feuds that I've been in as PG 13, not real memorable. The only memorable thing, honestly, about that, uh, and, and to me, they were they were just a newer version of the new breed, Chris Champion and Sean Royal, who right. I really loved that back when I was a kid, and that's all that was, yeah. was a rehash. And they did not pull it off like Chris and Sean did, uh, not even close. But um, right. <laughs> right. Dave Brown used to get so mad at certain things, and uh, I called him on, on TV. I called him the techno turds, and, man, after the show, 
Dave Brown lit into me. And it's like, oh, my God, think about all the things that have been said on TV and, and, and you know, yeah. Yeah. especially the attitude error, which was oh. kind of happening at this point. Right. But, Techno turd, really? You're gonna get on my ass about saying techno turd, but he lit into me, man. <laughs> you can't say that on this TV. I'm, I'm the weatherman here, and the, the phones have lit up ever since you said it. I don't know if that was true. I can't see people calling the deep. I can't believe he said turd on television. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, that's about the that's about the extent of that. At least Jesse James Armstrong hits you with a hubcap. So we're going to stop there. Like I said, next podcast that we continue on your journey, whether it's the next episode or the next after that, it will pick up with the WWF. Like I said, we've covered a little bit about it, but we're going to go in depth on things. I want to ask you a few different other things. So, And then our next episode that we cover will round out 95. And then we get into 96, 97, and so much more. So I'm really excited. But while we're at it, let's go ahead and do a little current affairs. Hey, DJ, hit that music. It's a current affair. It's a current affair. Love it in color. It's a current affair. All right, we're back to current affairs. Everybody's favorite part of the show. <laughs> well, mine. I'm just kidding. Not everybody else's. But mine is our current affairs, Wolfie. So are you caught up uh, on all your wrestling? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that makes it even better. Always. So the first, of course, you know, the AEW is having their big deal this yeah. weekend in Chicago. So AEW has kind of almost stuck a flag in beating NXT. So they put NXT on another night. They didn't want to mm-hmm. face them anymore. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think Vince undersold the idea of putting developmental talent up against AEW, which really could have been more against Raw or SmackDown. So NXT was Triple H's baby. And like we said, right. NXT is kind of the further thing. But now it appears that Vince is taking over NXT. What do you see happening there? Big dudes and nobody who can wrestle and stuff like that. What do you see in the with what Vince the, taking over? Just, I, it, NXT is what it was supposed to be, is people that are not ready for the main roster yet. And you're putting right. them in, putting them in a position to be a whole nother. To me, it seems like a whole nother product that is a main roster because uh, actually Lawler and I were talking about this on the, on the plane ride the other day. Uh, as he was saying, you know, you got these, these dudes ain't ready yet. And so you're putting right. them in this position to be a, because the the fans don't really understand. They just see a different wrestling show. That's all they see. And it's not, okay, well, these guys are, uh, you know, farm team, whatever you want to call it. So sure. I don't know, but I, I've always heard that, that Vince and, and, and Hunter bump heads quite often. So who knows yeah. what's going on with that, man? I, I don't know. I've been out of that for so long. It's hard to say. I don't know the personalities and, and what's happening there. But, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> As with anything with the WWE, Vince is the final say. It doesn't matter who he's allowed to run anything or not, you know. He hired Eric Bischoff and fired him before the first SmackDown. That's how, you know, he hired him to run SmackDown and then fired him before the SmackDown was was even on air. So, 
you know, that's just kind of how Vince is, I guess. We won't cover that too much more, but basically it does lead me into the other thing is that Meltzer has reported, I believe, that WWE is no longer looking at the indies like they have been. You know, they've had guys like Samoa Joe, Tommaso Ciampa, Kevin Steen, all these guys coming in and becoming their stars. Mm -hmm. But now they're going younger and they're going back to athletes. So essentially kind of what you guys face in OVW you know, when they brought in Cena and they brought yeah. in, I know, you know, like they're bringing in these raw athletes, yeah. you know, with Dave Batista and stuff like that. What do you, do you think that'll work? I mean, it, it has before, but. I, I've never understood that. I don't get it. It's like, it's like somebody coming to me and saying, man, I think you would really make a good uh, ballet artist, man. We're going to give you some money to go do some ballet, man. We think you'd really be good at it. <laughs> I, I'm not you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. I don't get that. You need somebody, especially the, the punishment that your body takes in the wrestling business. I feel like you have to have the, the want to and all that. And, yeah, I'm sure the money sounds good to these guys at first. And, you know, they're athletes, so they do understand the, you know, what's going to go into it until they actually get out there. And I, I've heard, because, you know, I, I trained people at the USWA school and then I had my own school. I mean, I've had guys that played college football and stuff like that tell me, man, this is the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, and and because it's not just how strong you are, how fast you are, and can you run a route. There's a lot of timing. There's You have to have watched wrestling because there's a certain way that a wrestler walks around the ring. There's a certain way a wrestler sells a certain thing. There's just things you don't know and almost can't coach that quickly until you have some sort of uh, experience at our business. And, yes, I know it's changed, and I don't want to be that old-school guy, you know. But at the same time, there's just things that, like I said, you, you have to have seen it. You've got to know some of the history. And I, I just – I've never understood that at all. I just – I do not. They don't yeah. respect it. A lot of them don't respect it at all. Uh, they, right. You know, Kind of like the fan, and I don't want to say the fan, even the people that are not wrestling fans, when they talk about it, the words they use and, you know, they think it's corny and they don't even appreciate the athleticism and the punishment, you know, the term fake and all that bullshit, man. It's like, why are you paying these guys to come do something that it's not in their heart, you know? I don't right. know, man. It's, yeah. It's always been bothering me. And, and you can tell these last few signees, I think they even just signed that guy that, won a gold medal at the U.S. Olympics. I'm, I'm flipping on Facebook. it. That's how I get my news, Jimmy. That's how I get my wrestling news is yeah. Facebook posts. Yeah. I get it, man. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. But my, my final current affair is that your old stomping grounds, TNA Impact, is really putting out a hard press to sign Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. Now, hmm. will they get them? Who knows? I do know the AEW is, is getting flooded out a little bit with, with guys. Can you see Braun and Bray working and doing something good in Impact? I mean, what do you think about that? Mm, I would say... Business decision-wise, I don't think they would go. Yeah. Money decision, it's a possibility. So there's some factors there. You know, if they just, right. uh, you know, if, if he could get some creative control, things that they could actually help out there. But from what I understand, and again, you know, I don't follow too much. It's like TNA Impact is now number, what, three? And three. not really yeah. making any waves or anything like that. And, uh, you know, you've got all these, 
all these marks that are loving AEW right now. So that would be the, uh, you know, the the choice I would think would to right. go there because it'd kind of be like the CM Punk thing if Bray were to go there, the, they would go nuts. Um, I think, and right. I mean, I saw a thing again where I guess there was an old uh, merch record uh, for AEW. Like, uh, who was that? Ah, shit. I cannot remember who they, who it previously was, but I guess Punk's new shirt has smashed whatever uh, record the the other person had. So, I mean, they've definitely got the momentum right now, and to be able to sign those two guys would, I, I mean, obviously do nothing but make it even bigger and more legit and, you know. Now, let's say you're booking the AEW. Would you bring them in as a combo? I mean, because they have that history in the WWE, or would yeah. you bring them in totally separately? What What do you think? I mean, Bray is kind of his own universe. I think you have to bring them in as a combo, yeah. reunite them there. You know. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, uh, yeah. as close to what their old gimmick was as you could get away with. Right. Unless Bray's, Bray's very creative, unless he comes up with something, you know, uh, completely Brand different, new. which I'm sure you yeah. have a hand in it. Yeah, I mean, I remember when he was doing the Husky Harris gimmick, and I was like, this kid's got something, you know. As little as I mm-hmm. know about inner workings of the wrestling world, I felt like he had something, you know. So, yeah. well, anyway. Well, that wraps up our current affair. I don't want to beat you too much with this stuff here. So, thank you so much, as I'm always. Ready for now, the king, baby. I'm ready for the king. we got to get the king on right. the phone. Now, yeah, well, a- yeah, after our sponsors, we're going to play a couple advertisements for the kids here, and then we're going to bring in Jerry the King Lawler. You ready, Wolfie? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. We'll be right back. Let's take a quick time out and get a word from one of my dope-ass sponsors, and we'll be right back with more Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, folks, to get your official Live It In Color with Wolfie D merchandise, go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash live Wolfie D. Check it out. If you're listening to Live and in Color with Wolfie D on Apple Podcast and like what you're hearing, go ahead and leave a five-star rating. And while you're at it, write a review. Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you'd like to hear in the future. It's very important to us and always appreciated. Thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest on the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. A multi-time world champion, a WWE Hall of Famer, and the one true king of professional wrestling, Mr. Jerry the King Lawler. Mr. Lawler, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for that introduction. You read it just like I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Hey, King, it's Wolfie here. How are you, man? Hey, Wolfie. How are you, buddy? Uh, Doing well. 
Hey, uh, just like Jimmy said, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, and I know I kind of prepped you a little bit on what I wanted to talk about. We're uh, six episodes into this podcast, and we're kind of going through my career first of all. Um, so my first thing is, um, you know, I've worked you, I don't Lord knows how many times. It was always, you know, great fun working with you. When Jerry Jarrett uh, gave us the job in 1993, you know, we came in as uh, – you know, mid-card kind of comic relief guys, you know, small little heels that, uh, you know, would could do comedy spots and all that kind of stuff, but we could still work at the same time. When Jerry came to you with this, those those four uh, rap videos that he made for us, what was your first impression of, of me and Jamie? Obviously, you knew Jamie before you knew me, but what was your impression <laughs> of the 13 gimmicks? Well, you're right. I did know Jamie before I knew you. Uh, and And to be perfectly honest with you, um, uh, you know, my opinion still today is the same as it was back then. I don't care if anybody knows it, but I think rap is crap. And I told <laughs> I told Jerry Jarrett that back then. I said, you know, hey, that's just my own personal opinion. I think I said I think a lot of the kids will uh, like this and will respond to this. And and if you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people don't uh, realize and especially don't give us credit for down in the Memphis territory was we, we, we built wrestlers and we made, we made guys careers off of music videos yeah. and, and uh, you know, and you guys were no exception. I mean, we, yeah. w- with the music videos that we put together and I say, we wasn't me, uh, but you know, Mike Shields and, 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 and uh, what was his name? Ron? No, what was Randy West. Name? Randy West. Yeah. I started to say Ron West, uh, Randy West. But those guys put those things together, and they did such a great job. Th- those music videos meant more in getting a uh, wrestler over, getting you guys over, than if you'd give them ten squash matches on TV. Yeah, I mean it was just it was just uh, magic. It was magic time at that at that point in time, and uh, you know we did it with the we did it with the with the Rock and Roll Express. We did it with the Fabulous Ones. We did it. You know it helped me and and Bill Superstar Dundee. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I knew that when I saw those, even though I didn't like the music, uh, I, I liked, I liked the videos Yeah. and, and, and I thought, you know, I, I knew at that time that you guys were, that you were, you were going to be able to get over and you did. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you talk about those music videos. I mean, I remember watching as a kid and some of the ones that stick out, you mentioned, I, I, the fabulous ones videos before they came in, those were awesome. You dropped a bomb on me, uh, particularly. And then the, the Kamala video where they had him in the jungle and you know, all that stuff. It just made you really want to see this person in the ring. And the buildup was, uh, you know, like unmatchable. Like you said, he could come in there, Kamala could come in there and squash everybody. It would have not meant as much as seeing this crazy looking dude, you know, walking around in the jungle with a spear was just like, holy cow, man, this is cool. You know, which of course was Jerry Jarrett's backyard in the little pond that we threw some, threw some dry ice into the water out there. And then <laughs> we told James, uh, walk out there about six or eight feet. I'd never forget. He said, Ain't no snakes out here, is it? <laughs> no, certainly not. Of course, we'd never, I'd never even been there before. But uh, yeah, that that kind of stuff. I don't know what it, it was like. A, it was like people were watching a movie or a special TV show about this person, and it made them appear to be a star. 
more so than if they, you know, than if they all of a sudden just saw him out there walking into the ring and wrestling. It was yeah. just just did that for him. And and um, oh my gosh, the the fabulous ones, all those ZZ Top videos, sharp dressed man, all of that sort of stuff. That it it absolutely made those guys um, more so than more so than people actually see them in person. You know, I mean, it, it was it was so good because you didn't. Uh, when 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 we first put Steve and Stan together, and the same thing with Rock and Roll Express, those guys were not they were not top tier main event caliber wrestlers at that time. And if you had just thrown them out there in, in matches right off the bat, people would have seen that. But yeah. instead, we you know instead for weeks and weeks we featured those music videos, and and by the time by the time the people saw them in person. They were they were already over. It didn't it didn't they didn't care what how they worked. Then you know they just wanted to see these guys that they thought were big music video stars. Right. Keeping and keeping with kind of the timeline here. So so as I said, you know Jamie and I came in and we were mid card, you know guys or whatever. Uh, hadn't put on the size, especially me that I put on later uh, when we kind of started main event and everything. I want to say this though. I, I know at that time. Every Monday night, and it was usually at you know in Memphis. Uh, I would go sit upstairs and make it a point. I mean, I was always a fan of yours growing up, but then being there and being able to go sit upstairs where the fans weren't uh, after my match and watch whoever it was you were working that night. And there was a lot of times, you know, it was when WWF was sending uh, guys down for you to main event with. Undertaker, Bret Hart, uh, Max Luger, all those guys, and Randy Savage. Uh, and I'd sit up there and watch your match. I really didn't watch any other matches, quite frankly. I just wanted to see what you did because I learned so much psychology just by watching your matches. Uh, and that's just a personal uh, thank you to you. I mean, working with you obviously taught me more than that. But uh, I sat up there every Monday night and watched you. And to this day, I still say, psychology and, and just believability you are one of the all-time greats well uh, you know i i appreciate that um but you guys let's let's talk a, a little bit more about about you guys pg-13 and you you mentioned the fact that hey you were small and you were you you even call it comedy you know comedy relief and that sort of stuff but in in reality you guys reminded me of what me and uh, what myself and Jim White were like when we first started in the Tennessee territory, mm -hmm. uh, we, we were small. We were, we were, the, you know, the, the territory at that time when Nick Goulas uh, and Roy Welch owned the Tennessee territory, you know, they had big lumbering heels like Al Green and Don and Al Green and the, uh, the Von Brauners, which were the two big German guys that they were managed by Saul Weingroff. And then there were the interns managed by Dr. Ken Ramey and all of these big uh, Bobby Hart and Lorenzo Parenti, all of these big guys. And suddenly uh, me and Jim White showed up smaller than those guys. But we did what what you guys did. We we took a lot of bumps because it, we and 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 we we took a lot of bumps and we did things when you let like you call comedy. We would do things that would. In, in the matches that would make the baby face look like they were smarter than us, right. us, making us, you know, uh, look stupid and everything. And we didn't mind doing that. And, and what we found out was that all of a, the, all of a sudden the baby faces 
uh, wanted to work with us instead of these big, these big lumbering, big, huge heels that would just want to beat them down. They wanted yeah. to work with us because we would put them over like a million dollars by taking all the big bumps by by making people laugh at us and be in comedy relief like you guys were. And yeah. and and that was the secret to our success. And it and it has been throughout my entire career. And yeah. and if you look at people that are that are have really been successful, uh, you'll see that. In, in their matches, they sell a lot more than they're than they're making comebacks. You know, they they yeah. even even guys. If you if you really look, even guys like Hulk Hogan. If you really go back and watch a Hulk Hogan match, Hulk would sell about eighty percent of the match, and yeah. then all of a sudden he'd Hulk up, make the comeback, drop the leg, win the match, and boom, that was the that was the secret to his success. Well, we yeah. were the same way. You know, we we love to sell, and you guys were you guys were great at that also. And I think that's what that's what uh, made you guys successful was the the baby faces wanted to work with you because you guys would make them look great. Right. And so, thank you for that. And and to fast forward a little bit, we're I think it was ninety four going into ninety five. Jeff goes to WWE or WWF. You're there most of the time. So that leaves, you know, Randy Hales has the book at that time. And we go from being that mid-card team as heels that I was talking about to Randy has this, you know, and I think he was the only one that believed that we could do it is to push us. And he then uh, Brian switched babyface. Uh, so it was me and Jamie and Brian on the babyface side, basically. Uh, Tommy Doug on the heel side, rock and roll, and then the whole angle USWA versus Smoky Mountain thing. I think, personally, that a lot of people on the inside thought Randy was crazy, A, and that B, we were going to fold, that we could not uh, do it without you, and we couldn't do it, even though you and Jeff were there a little bit. It was left to us uh, and Brian as babyfaces to basically carry everything. Then, then we started doing the Smoky Mountain on that, and and the the houses came up, and you still owned half the company at that time. So I know you, you know, uh, knew what the houses were doing as far as money coming up. What did you think at that time? Did you think uh, I can't believe they're doing it, or you had confidence, or what did you think at that time? Oh gosh, Wolfie, you know I told you before we did this. <laughs> uh, my memory, I, I've got hit on the head a lot over my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my memory on stuff like that is not that sharp. I don't, I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm probably sure I did at the time, but I yeah. can't specifically remember thinking about, oh, gosh, uh, uh, you know, the houses are good down in Memphis. I, I, I was probably more concerned with what I was doing up yeah. in the WWE and then coming, you know, then coming back down to Memphis on a, on a, not a regular basis, but as much as I could, you know, with right. working up there as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I know it was, um, I, I know it wasn't uh, something that I was complaining about because I was, you know, I've never been to a point in, in being uh, of owner of the territory that I was disappointed in. I mean, we, we always did well. I mean, you guys, you guys kept things going and, and the money kept rolling in and, um, it was just, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I was, I was very happy with uh, the way things progressed there with you guys being moved up to the top spots. Yeah. And, and you were responsible for me and Jamie getting that first uh, shot on raw, you know, they gave us the, 
the win against uh, two, you know, guys or whatever. And then we had the, the match against the smoking guns for the tag team titles. And that was you that got us that deal. Uh, first of all, thank you. And I remember on, uh, cause you did an interview for me on that documentary and you were, you were like, I didn't know if these guys were going to mess up and make me look bad or what, but they did. They actually went up there. They did great. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, you pretty much told it there in a nutshell. I, I, I was, I was concerned and I really haven't done that a whole lot. Uh, like stuck my neck out for somebody and, and recommended them because I always felt like, you know, I, I didn't want that to come back and bite me in the butt. Yeah. And, uh, and it, and because for a few people it did, I mean, even, you know, let's face it, even my son, Brian, um, you know, he wound up screwing up after, I mean, having such a great spot there and doing fantastic. And then he just, you know, made some bad decisions and, uh, he, you know, he got, he got released and I went, stuck my neck out, uh, with Jr. and got him, brought him back. And then he got released again. And, and so, you know, you, you, you learn a lesson after things like that, but you know, I was, I was proud of the fact that you guys, when, uh, you know, when you, when you came up there, you did, you did well. I mean, and I know it's a, it's, you know, uh, it's a ton of pressure all of a sudden to get put in that, you know, worldwide spotlight yeah. uh, after just working a Tennessee territory. And then all of a sudden, man, you're being seen all over the world on, on this, uh, on this, uh, cable television show. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, it is, it was a ton of pressure. And, and I was, I was worried. I was concerned that, that, uh, you guys wouldn't be able to handle it, but you did. And, and I was proud of you. Yeah. And at the time I was, I think I was 21 years old at that time. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And and the thing about it, I don't, and again, I know you probably don't remember this, but we had taught, you know, obviously they liked the gimmick. They loved our work. Uh, they well, loved let, me, let me say this. I, I, yeah. was, I was about to add at the end of that, and then you said it. Uh, yeah. You guys, you guys had a great gimmick. I mean, yeah. you know, you were the, you were the only ones doing that, that thing. And it was, it was timely. It was topical. And um, you know, it was, it was easy to, it was easy for the, the fans to understand what you guys were doing and, and they believed in it. So it mm-hmm. was, it, it was just, uh, it was one of those things that you guys were doing the right thing at the right time in the right place. Right. But the one thing that was out of time, and I've said this a hundred times because it came from Bruce Pritchard that, okay, all that stuff, like you just said, they loved, but you guys are too small. Cause during that time, uh, was when the ring, you know, had Yokozuna, the rings were reinforced. You had Mabel, you had all these monsters and the, like, I guess it was a year later, cause that was 95. So in 96 or so is when you start having the, the luchador invasion and the cruiserweight invasion to where all of a sudden the size of the wrestler started shrinking. And it was like, we were just about a year too early. Cause I feel like if it, if that would have happened at that time, I think we could have had a long-term job, you know, if as long as myself and Jamie could have, uh, you know, behind the scenes kept our heads together. But um, that is one of the things that has really changed. You know, they say nothing is sure in life except change. And yeah. sure enough, the, I mean, that goes, that rings true for the WWE for sure. I mean, it's changed over the years. The philosophy of the matches have sh- changed. The, the uh, ways the shows are put together has changed. And the size and the and the work of the wrestlers has changed over the years. And you're right. There was a time that, uh, I, and I was I was shocked. Believe it or not, I I I I felt 
good about you guys. But I was really shocked that that Vince uh, and them gave you the chance that they did at that time because it, you're right. At that time, it was full of monsters. I mean, there was, like you said, the big Mabel. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, every everybody was huge. And and that was at that time that was the philosophy of the WWE. They wanted bigger than life, huge, uh, huge performers that that the people would just look at and go, "Oh my gosh, this this guy is like you said a monster." And yeah. so for them to uh, give you guys a chance in there, uh, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised. And but like you said, if if it had been a different time. Like like you mentioned, a year later, you guys probably would have had a longer run, or even like right now. Oh my gosh, you know, you know, they they have they have a bigger a, a, a different mix. They have some big giants as well, but they still have a lot of a lot of smaller guys now too. You know, right? Yeah, timing is everything in the entertainment business. I've always heard that. <laughs> Jimmy, you want to talk with the king? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. Come on, uh, Jimmy. And, and, I, know, I know you've been saving up something good. <laughs> well, yeah, I've got two things, and one of them, I want to go back to the music real quick. One of my all-time favorite music hype videos was you, I think you were the AWA champion, and you used Bob Seger's Turn the Page. That, to me, I can get chill bumps thinking about that to this day. So I just wanted to comment as my personal favorite music video from Memphis area. Let me say this, Jimmy. I mean, there were a lot of, of great music videos and fortunately, that that like you said, uh, Wolfie, timing is everything. Those those music videos happened at a time when you could you could just go out and grab anybody's anybody's uh, soundtrack and lay some video down over it and show it on TV. Yeah, today, yeah. today you can't you cannot do that. You know, it got all of a sudden after a few years, all the artists and rightfully so. Hey, they 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 saw somebody using their 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 soundtrack, uh, they wanted to be paid for it. And now, of right. course, you can't even, I mean, all the TV stations and everything now will not even let, the, you have to pay in advance before you use somebody's uh, uh, music on, on, on TV. But back in those days, we could just grab any any song and put video with it, and it, and it worked tremendously. But I got I to gotta say this about that video that you're talking about, and as a matter of fact, about all of them. Never once, not one time, I, I cannot take credit for any of those because never once did I go to Mike Shields or Randy West and say, hey, I like this song, make make me a music video to it. Yeah. That was, I, I, I was never responsible for that. Those guys did that, and they would turn out one every week. Those guys worked so hard on that stuff. But those guys did those music videos themselves. I can't take any credit for it at all. Uh, and when I would show up on a Saturday morning and I was just as surprised as the fans were that were watching because I was seeing the music video for the first time myself. And that one that you mentioned, Turn the Page, was really a great one. And yeah. they did they did so many of them that, uh, that uh, oh, gosh, what was the, the, oh, the Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. And all, right. I mean, gosh, they put together so many great videos. But. I mean, you know, my hat or my crown is off to those guys because they did all of that work and they did it for everybody and they never got any, they never really got any credit for it, but they, uh, it was, it was Mike Shields and it was, uh, or Andy West that did those, those things. 
Yeah, and excellent job by them. And like Wolfie said earlier, you, in my humble opinion, you are one of the greatest of all times. I mean, you, you've had so many great matches and storylines and, and so many partners to work with from Jackie Fargo to Bill Dundee to handsome Jimmy Valiant, the legendary storyline, of course, with Andy Kaufman, uh, Kurt Hennig. And to me, my personal favorite was the Bret Hart storyline. That was just amazing. I I think it showed both your talent and his to the furthest extent. You guys seem to really be working on like a hundred percent. So, you know, I know this is kind of a pretty big question, but what would you say would be your favorite storyline or angle or match of all time? Well, I mean, it goes without saying, I mean, I I have to uh, give credit where credit is due as far as my career and what did the most for me had to be the Andy Kaufman stuff. Uh, You know, he wasn't the most fun guy to work with. I mean, he was because he didn't know what he was doing and he listened very well and I could just leave the entire match and it always, the matches with Andy always worked out well, but just, just the fact that, you know, his, his fame from being on the TV show taxi, his nationwide uh, celebrity that was, that was brought into Memphis wrestling. And I I still say, and even, even now, you know, recently they had these shows on the A&E network that, uh, that featured, people in search of lost WWE treasures. And we were out there searching for the neck brace that Andy Kaufman wore on the David Letterman show when I slapped him. And, and, um, and, and one of the things that Triple H said, I mean, you know, who's the biggest as high as you can get in the WWE right now. He even admitted that he felt like my, whatever you want to call it, whatever my angle or my, my working with Andy Kaufman changed the, changed the face of professional wrestling forever it it changed it from pro wrestling or wrestling as vince used to call it to sports (laughs) entertainment because that's when we you know that's when we uh i mean crossed that bridge and 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 started using uh other entertainers from the from the movie or tv world and 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 it just it just changed the business so I, I have to, even though, I mean, there's some great wrestlers that I worked with, loved, uh, loved, of course, working with Bill Dundee, with uh, Terry Funk was one of my all-time favorites, Handsome Jimmy Valiant, Austin Idol. I mean, so many, in, in my 51 years of wrestling, I've wrestled just about every single pro wrestler that there is. I mean, going all the way back to, I had a match with, I had a tag team match back in the early 70s against Pat O'Connor and Lou Thez. With Jersey wow. Joe Walcott, who was ex boxing champion, as a special referee, and then come all the way up to to today, where I've wrestled. I mean, I mean, golly, I just, I mean, you, you, I, I've, I've wrestled them all. I mean, you know, from the Undertaker right. to, to Stone Cold Steve Austin to John Cena to CM Punk to uh, all of these guys, you know. So, and I and I can't say that there was anybody that I didn't. Uh, like working with, but uh, I still, I would have to say in trying to answer your question that Andy Kaufman had to be the biggest thing that happened to me and to wrestling. True. And I, hey, I'll tell you what, as a, as a kid watching that, I, I don't know how, I had a forehead VCR. Remember when those came out? You could do slow-mo. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how many times I watched the, the pile driver in the back suplex uh, over and over and over. And And to me, as a kid, 
I thought the Vax Suplex is what got him, and, and then that, that sold it for me. But what really sold it for me was the Letterman show. When you smacked him out of the chair and then he came out touching, oh, yeah. and, and, I, I, and to this day, I, I haven't really read where you've you know talked about it a lot, but I don't know if Letterman was in on it or what, or he just sold it well, too. But that's what really sold it for me. That was that can't be talked ever again. As far well, as you know, the, right. the deal with Letterman, and I've, I've, I've said this many times, um, it, and, and I think that's what made it so good and so believable is because basically it was, it was real. It was spontaneous. Nobody, nobody knew that I was going to slap Andy. Certainly yeah. not David Letterman. Andy didn't even know I was going to slap him. And I swear to God, I didn't even know I was going to slap him. It just <laughs> happened on the spur of the moment. Yeah. We, we did our two segments, which were, which were planned and laid out uh, by Robert Morton, the segment uh, coordinator, before we went on the show. What they wanted us to do in the second segment was that Andy was supposed to apologize to me for making fun of wrestling. I was supposed to apologize to Andy for, uh, for hurting him on the pile driver. And then Andy was going to get up and sing – what the world needs now is love, sweet love. <laughs> that, that's what everybody was expecting. That's what we were supposed to do. And Andy never, when we got in that second segment, Andy never really apologized to me, and I never really apologized to him, and it just kept going on and on. And I, I think Dave realized we're getting past the, you know, we're not, something that's gone off the tracks here. And uh, <laughs> so he was just getting ready to get us out of there. And all of a sudden, Paul Schaefer started playing the music to go to commercial, and I literally just stood up. And when I watch it back myself, I think it's like an out-of-body experience. I thought, what the hell was I thinking? And I just stood up, and I looked Andy right in the eyes, and I believe at that point Andy realized what was coming, and I just hauled off and slapped him as hard as I could, knocked him out of the chair. Yeah. Nobody knew that was coming, even myself. I thought I was going to get arrested. I didn't. I didn't know if they would even show it, and uh, that, that's how. It, that's what made it so real. That was awesome. That was like I said. You nobody will be, ever be able to match that as far as kayfabe goes and keeping it quiet and all that kind of stuff. That's that's never going to be topped. I'll say that. Uh, King, hey. where can the people find you on social media? What do you got coming up? What do you need to plug? Well, uh, of course, I, my I'm on on Twitter. That's my that's my favorite point of social media. I love Twitter. I'm at Jerry Lawler on Twitter. Uh, and then, of course, I'm Instagram. It's real Jerry Lawler. Um, let's see. I've got Facebook. What else? But the, the main thing that I'd like to plug that's coming up, September the 18th, Saturday, September the 18th. You, Wolfie, I know you've been a part of them. There's a lot of these things going around the country where they have, you know, like reunions, get together yep. of a bunch of the great wrestlers. Well, Saturday, September seventh, September eighteenth, at Fitzgerald's Casino, which is right near Memphis here, you know, like sixteen miles uh, south of Memphis at Tunica, Mississippi, Fitzgerald's Casino, we are having the Gary Lawler Wrestling Reunion, and uh, it's going to start at noon that day. People are going to be able to come in and see tons of some of the top wrestlers, top superstar wrestlers ever uh, that we got. We're going to have there. We got. Oh, gosh. Arn Anderson is going to be there. Sergeant Slaughter is going to be there. Uh, Lex Luger is going to be there. Uh, Kurt Angle is going to be there. Thunder Rosa is going to be there. Miranda Gordy is going to be there. Uh, Dave Brown, Tommy Rich, Bill Dundee. Oh, my gosh. I'm, no, I'm Scott, I thought I was going to be there. Scott Steiner, I think. 
Yes, Scott Steiner is going to be there. As a matter of fact, then uh, that's going to go from noon till 5. And then after that, we got a live wrestling show at 7. And I'm wrestling Scott Steiner in the main event there. We got we're going to have seven big matches. It's going to be a big, it's going to be a super day. And get this, tickets to get in are only 20 bucks. Oh, oh man. All and meet all of these great stars. That's a steal. Yeah, that is a steal. Well, man, Absolutely. I want to thank you again for coming on here, King. Uh, thank you for everything that you uh, did for me during my career. Um, I totally appreciate you. Uh, you lived up to this little kid's uh, uh, thoughts of you as a little kid once I got to know you, and uh, you continue to do that today. Uh, so thanks again for coming on, and, uh, man, you have a great day. All right, Wolfie. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. Anytime. And now a word from our sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling, the podcast that's based on the old school, but can still help you find the good stuff from today. Jimmy Street and the Plastic Sheik, Jared, are the undisputed tag team champions of the wrestling podcast world. From thought-provoking topics to superstar interviews to action figure expertise. This team does it all. And all they ask is, give me back my pro wrestling. Every other Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the big picture, Michael Jablonski. Don't forget to tune in every week to Jablonski's Pissed Off on the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. In a world that has been completely divided for so long, two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other, a horror movie fanatic. Together, they will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram. So that was another great episode. Hey, Wolfie, tell them where they can find you on social media. Jimmy, they can find me in the club, bottle full of bub. I'm just kidding. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, my personal page is Warren Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. Uh, I'm on Instagram, at Warren Wolf 13 
You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live Wolfie D. And then on YouTube at Live and in Color with Wolfie D Podcast. Our website is anchor.fm slash Wolfie D. Here's the thing. Wolfie always has offers for his autographed photos. He has a selection of some awesome photos from throughout his career that he will autograph and personalize any way that you want him to. Just contact him either directly at his personal Facebook page or through any one of our other pages, and we'll make sure you get in contact directly with Wolfie. Get those photos, right, Wolfie? Yeah, I've got some good stuff on there, you know, to help with the podcast. Folks, if you can't get out to a show to meet Wolfie D, there's nothing like that, especially for the fans of PG-13 and Wolfie. D. Also, do you have a product or business you'd like Wolfie D to talk about? Let us know about it by leaving a recorded message over at anchor.fm slash Wolfie D slash message. Leave your name and contact info and we'll get back to you. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash Wolfie D slash message. And before we go, you can always find me, your host, Jimmy Street, at James Rock Street on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And hey, Jimmy, before we go real quick, I just want to add in there, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate, first of all, the work you've done for this podcast. You have worked your butt off. Secondly, the people that are liking the page. Beyond that, even more is the people that are listening. And we really appreciate that. Yeah. And remember, guys, the podcast drops a new episode every Monday at noon. And our past episodes are streaming now on demand on all major podcast formats. Thanks again. I got a cat for you, don't. He got a cat. And here we go. The original white boy that came out sagging, not bragging, don't be hating, cause I'm spitting the truth. Still lobbing in color. Don't rush your mother, utilize a hubcap. I'm like any other. Back in the day, I was NOD, and I was P to the G plus the one and the three. In case you forgot, they call me Wolfie D. Been cloned and copied so many times. Title suckers taking credit for what is mine. You know who you are without me name dropping wrestling's first white boy coming out hip hop. Been doing it like this since 92. Played alone for a while when you thought I was through. Listen real close to these rhymes that I've injected. This shit's so sick it makes your ears get infected. Mad skills, no faking, there is no one great. Cause I'm bringing more folks and over one for later. Not here to play games, so you better be real. You don't like me, so what? I really don't care. All the time I keep ticking and I can't be stopped. You suck a step to the side unless you wanna get dropped. When I'm finished, I'll straight knock you out. Please allow me to tell you what it's all about. Gonna wind it up. Driving it home, it's Wolfie D, baby. Huh? I got a cap for your dome. I got a cap for your dome. We got a cap for your dome. We got a cap for your dome. This has been a James Rock Street production.